SumaUp is next-gen body optimization from an actual doctor that's guaranteed to get you in the best shape of your life in 90 days. You'll be at peak levels for each of the fundamentals that drive your strength, energy, and even your longevity. It's a lifelong difference you'll see in the mirror, but also feel throughout your entire day. SumaUp puts more living in life. For full details on this transformative program designed for the demanding lives of today's highest achieving entrepreneurs and CEOs, visit www.startsuma.com. They basically did a retrospective study where they looked at 21,000 individuals who had talked about self-reported medication use. Individuals that use these long-term might be putting themselves at a risk. Today, we're going to talk about my approach to insomnia and what are some things that we can do to, to better improve it. A typical question I will get from some patients after they start therapy is the following. This is actually a question that was posed to me recently. Dr. Ryan, I've seen some benefits from the program, so muscle mass and beta energy levels, but I still have issues with a good night's sleep. What can I do? Okay, so let's first define what exactly insomnia is. All right, so according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, it is comprised of four parts, a difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or having sleep that's not really restorative, so you wake up not refreshed, okay? The difficulty is present despite the fact that you have the opportunity to sleep. So in other words, you're in bed and you have the opportunity to sleep, you just, you're not sleeping appropriately. The impairment is associated with distress uh, during the day, so just sleepiness, or maybe you feel like you're not working your best during the day or during your, during work. And it occurs at least three times a week or has been a problem for at least a month. And that's, that's a typical definition of significant insomnia, right? It is the most common sleep disorder. It apparently affects one in four individuals in the United States. And it seems to correlate with cardiovascular disease, anxiety, cancer, and even overall mortality. And one thing that is an issue is the conventional sleep aids, the hypnotic sleep aids, the benzos and the non or the non-benzos actually kind of work on this on similar receptors, things like Zolpidem or Lunesta, they actually are associated with increased mortality. And you can kind of see this here. This is a more recent article that looked at use of sleep medications and mortality. And this was actually a study that was done in uh, Norway. And they found that community dwellers who use sleep medications, in particular benzos, had a significantly increased risk of dying during 13 to 15 years of follow-up. They, they basically did a retrospective study where they looked at 21,000 individuals who had talked about self-reported medication use. And so basically there is some concern that individuals that use these long-term might be putting themselves at a risk for, for death. And it is a concern because there's a lot, as we mentioned, a lot of people have insomnia, but also a significant amount of the U.S. uses sleep aids, right? 10%. So what are the types of insomnia? So here are some general categories. There are others, but here are the ones that seem to be the most common. So transient insomnia, which is the most mild, it's just for a few days. And many times this might be linked to just acute events. So maybe construction outside or changes in the weather or something like jet lag would be a good cause of transient insomnia. And it, and it goes away within a week. So it's really not that big of a deal. 
acute insomnia, usually this is linked to changes in emotional state. So maybe the death of a relative or uh, the end of a relationship or, you know, just, just things involving your family or at work that are ongoing, a difficult project. But again, it usually is self-limited and only lasts a time period of whatever that emotional event was. And then there's the insomnia that's, that's much more severe, chronic insomnia, which lasts months to years. This is the type that we really are concerned about because it has a profound impact on morbidity and mortality. Uh, this is where you see increases in terms of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, as well as just all over death. And despite the fact that some of these may be limited in terms of the time period, all of them will increase cortisol, epinephrine, and stress hormone levels, which then in turn will increase those cytokines, which then in turn will increase inflammation. As we all know, inflammation is a bad thing because this is linked to atherosclerosis, diabetes, cancer, stroke, you name it. And just one thing to point out is just in terms of overall sleep, and this is not necessarily linked to insomnia, but individuals who sleep five or less hours, and this is, you know, someone who's used to sleeping longer, their risk of stroke seems to increase fourfold. And there's a few studies that have elaborated on that. And then finally, another type of insomnia that's more related to pain, which we're starting to see uh, a lot with increase in the chronic pain population, is just insomnia due to chronic pain. And you'll see this with exacerbations of certain illnesses of, uh, such as osteoarthritis or fibromyalgia or uh, low back pain. And of course, ideally, in this particular case, it's a little special because the idea would be more to eliminate the root cause, which would be the issue you're dealing with. So what causes insomnia? So there's many things that could be linked to it. Uh, mental health is uh, one issue, of course. So anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. Psychopathic physiological insomnia is really secondarily uh, secondary to just worry. So there are some individuals who just they have a really difficult time compartmentalizing problems and they just consider would continue to mull things over in their head and this uh, inability to reach a conclusion or just come to the realization that there's only so much you can control can obviously impact sleep because it leads to hyper arousal because they're constantly worrying and mulling that issue over in their head as we talked about certain physical issues can lead to insomnia cardiovascular issues congestive heart failure GERD if you had a prior stroke, if you have COPD, and of course, obstructive sleep apnea. And then hormonal imbalances, uh, in particular, progesterone in women, but low estrogen can cause it, and definitely low testosterone in men. And one thing to note, people looked at how low testosterone or, you know, a concern with testosterone replacement therapy, both in men and women in the past uh, was obstructive sleep apnea. There's a concern that it may worsen or be correlated with obstructive sleep apnea. That data isn't entirely true. In fact, new data suggesting low testosterone is associated with objective sleep apnea. That being said, I do think it's quite possible to worsen OSA if you get on TRT, if you do not, you know, enact on a healthy diet and try to lose weight, or if you allow your hemoglobin hematocrit to rise too high. I've seen that occur. I've seen individuals where maybe their dose wasn't optimized and they didn't donate blood, even though, you know, maybe in a lab visit, I was like, hey, you gotta donate blood. And they did notice their sleep was a little more disturbed because of it. But after they donated blood, that seemed to help. What about medications? Well, many psych medications will impact sleep. 
So if you've been play, <laughs> you've been placed on trazodone or Prozac or Selex or SSRIs or MAO inhibitors, monoamine oxide in inhibitors, as well as calcium channel blockers, corticosteroids, and beta agonists, there are many more that can contribute to insomnia, but these seem to be the biggest ones. So it's kind of interesting, you know, one thing I didn't consider until recently is the fact that patients on amlodipine, this may be contributing to their uh, insomnia. So maybe trying to switch out to a different uh, blood pressure medication like Tomasartan instead, if possible. And then trying to titrate off SSRIs whenever possible might be a good idea too. And then of course, simple, everyone recognizes stimulants can cause insomnia, so caffeine, but also nicotine. And a lot of people are kind of, you know, the, the, the rate of smoking has decreased in the U.S., but one thing to recognize is people sometimes use nicotine patches. This is uh, something that is becoming more common in the uh, neurohacking community because nicotine does have some eutrophic effects. But one thing to realize is you may want to make sure you have it or utilize it uh, earlier in the day versus later in the day. And then, you know, one interesting thing is alcohol. So people are like, well, wait a minute, alcohol is a depressant, right? So because there are some people who drink alcohol to go, to go to sleep. This is a very bad idea. Alcohol decreases stage four sleep. So that's the deep restorative stage of sleep. But also it seems to release dopamine in the brain. So just, <laughs> just the fact of, of drinking alcohol is associated with insomnia and also alcohol withdrawal. So, oh no, not, not necessarily. A, great thing to, to have for bed and then of course just your lifestyle so if you're on rotating shifts many of us are jobs where basically we're on call or we have to switch between days and nights and that of course can impact your your sleep and, and lead to insomnia what about conventional therapy what's out there and what exactly why exactly is that why i mean that that not be a good idea well so the most common ways people treat insomnia initially at least are with antihistamines so things like Genosom or benadryl and the idea behind them is i mean these are great for allergies right but i'm sure some of you when you utilize benadryl you have noticed that you've gotten become kind of drowsy and that's because benadryl in particular will go into the cns and block histamine receptors in the brain and it's due to the central block A that you get drowsiness and it can decrease the onset to sleep. The problem though is you can get tolerance to it. Benadryl has a somewhat long half-life as well, so the effects can be there. And you can get paradoxical delirium where you're not necessarily having issues with insomnia, but you're kind of out of it. Unfortunately, I've seen this occur when I was in internal medicine. We had a few patients that were that we're utilizing uh, Benadryl. I see it a lot in the elderly, so you have to be pretty careful with that. What about benzodiazepines? Well, those are pretty common too, things like Xanax, Clonopin, or Valium. Uh, and what they basically do is they seem to increase GABA. They, they bind to these receptors on the GABA receptor just alongside it and increase the rate of binding of GABA to the receptors and, and how long it binds. And uh, these work well, but there are many side effects associated with this, in particular the fact that they are linked to psych issues like anxiety, depression. Many times, even when you're utilizing them and you get a good night's sleep, it's not a restful sleep. You oftentimes have this hangover feeling, feel groggy when you wake up. So despite the fact that you may feel like you're you're in you're in bed over time, it's it's just not something that would be a good good choice long term. 
and then the non-benzos and these have been recorded to be a lot safer than the benzos because they don't quite act as powerfully on GABA receptors. But here's the interesting part. Even though they don't bind to the benzodiazepine receptors, which are alongside the GABA receptor, they still act on GABA, GABA binding, albeit in, a, in an indirect way. And some of the side effects of these non-benzos, so these are things like Ambien and Lunesta, maybe even worse. Like they're correlated with sleepwalking, sleep driving, as well as an increase in depression. So these are also not without issue. And so both of these benzos and non-benzos are associated with increased mortality. We can, did talk about some of the sleeping aids and how use of sleep med medications can increase mortality. But in particular, these two seem to increase mortality. And there is this uh, recent article in JAMA that stated that. And so a lot of people, they're like, well, you know, maybe the mortality is due to combinations of drugs because unfortunately individuals who use benzos oftentimes are using opioids. This uh, article was, was done to see if there was an indication between increased mortality just with benzos without like opioids like Oxycontin. And what they found was there's a significant increase in all-cause mortality associated with benzodiazepine use with or without opioid use. A twofold increase in all-cause mortality. So not a medication that is uh, completely safe by any means, right? So what are some of the alternatives? You know, I mean, we know what some of the causes are. We uh, talked about the types of insomnia and we kind of talked about some of the reasons why conventional therapy may not be the best. So what would I recommend? Well, first things first, you really want to work upon, you know, having good sleep hygiene. And some of you guys may have heard me talk about this during meetings, but number one, you really have to minimize the amount of light, noise, and temperature changes in your bedroom. So realistically, keeping it cold in your room is important in your bedroom. So I would recommend trying to keep it like 60, 65 or below. And some of my patients, they go even more extreme, like 60 or below. But the colder it is in your bedroom, the better off it is and the easier you'll be able to sleep. Making sure that you don't be, you're not exposed to any blue light. This is becoming more and more an accepted notion because it does seem to impact sleep wake cycles, circadian rhythms. And so just don't look, don't watch TV, don't fall asleep watching a game, turn it off. Don't use your cell phone. You can read a book, it's an incandescent light, but don't, don't use electronic devices. Try to avoid large meals before bed. So generally, if you're part of the Lean for Life program, I, I usually don't recommend that unless it's of course your, your cheat meal that seems to uh, the increased digestion or perhaps if it's a large meal that might predispose you to having GERD that certainly will impact insomnia limiting vigorous exercise so this is something that's kind of hard for individuals right because some people the only time they can work out is at night if you're having issues with insomnia it may be best just to you know, kind of suck it up and try to try to get it uh, in earlier in the morning because exercise is important. Training with weights is key, but if you do it too late in the day, it certainly can impact your sleep cycles and over time may not be the most beneficial. And then like there are some individuals who get really uh, anxious about, you know, watching the clock, so cover it. You know, if you use your alarm clock to, to wake up, obviously don't cover up the speaker, but just cover up the time because that, for some individuals may, may be a cause for concern. 
Another thing to think about is sleep restriction. So let's say, you know, you are able to sleep in bed, but you can only sleep for six hours, right? So, but you stay in bed for nine hours. One thing to do is only stay in bed the period of time that you are truly asleep. So let's say you go to bed and you only sleep five hours. Okay, we'll get up, get up um, after five hours. Over time, this deficit that you're creating, so I mean, you're normally used to, or your body wants you to sleep eight hours, you're only sleeping five. You just get out and you go through your day. Over time, provided you don't take any naps during the day, this will cause you to want to fall asleep more quickly. And that seems to work really well. I know I inadvertently did this when I was in residency just because of having to study after working a long day. And I usually need about seven to eight hours of sleep, but some days I'd only get five or six and, you know, three or four days of this. And man, after the fourth or fifth day, right at like 9 p.m., I would just be, I would knock out, I'd be knocked out, I'd fall asleep right away. And that's kind of the idea. And so, over time, the time to sleep, the onset to sleep will decrease. But then more importantly, your eventual time that you'll be able to stay asleep will increase as well. What is typically recommended is to increasing by 15 to 20 minute increments when you are reliably falling asleep quickly. So then going, you know, trying to stay in bed. So let's say you fall asleep quickly and you're like, all right, so that part's fixed. And then you sleep for like six hours. Well then try to stay in bed for another 15 minutes. And eventually you will sleep for six hours and 15 minutes and then try another 15 minutes, six hours and 30 minutes. And so it'll be kind of like a, a week by week thing, but it definitely seems to help. Working with a medical hypnotist really can provide some uh, benefit. Here's an article looking at uh, treatment for insomnia in school-age children. I've mentioned this to, to several patients, particularly those that seem to have issues with excessive worrying, psychopathologic physiological sleep. Working with the medical hypnotist, implanting suggestions into your subconscious, stating that you know you fall asleep easily, you are someone that gets eight hours of sleep, you are you know someone that wakes up well rested and ready to take on the day. Things like that seem to really seem to really work. And in this particular study, their conclusion, it seemed to facilitate efficient therapy for school-aged children. And so it certainly would do so in adults too. What about supplements? There are many supplements out there and it's kind of confusing. The main ones that seem to have some benefit are the following. So melatonin is often reported as a go-to supplement. And I, th I think it has some benefit, but I think that it's a little bit overrated. Many times people think, well, if one to two grams is good, well then five or 10 grams is even better. The problem is with higher doses of melatonin, you can get paradoxical insomnia. So my suggestion is use one to two grams, don't get the gummies, use something that is an effervescent tablet that is a rapid dissolve tablet that you can that dissolve in your tongue. And those seem to, to work pretty well. Solaray makes a really good version of melatonin that I seem to like. Tryptophan, so tryptophan is amino acid that converts to serotonin and melatonin. And this has been shown to help with sleep. And 500 to 1500 milligrams of L-tryptophan has been useful prior to bed. I'm a big fan of magnesium in general because it seems to be important circadian rhythms and nerve conduction. It's been shown to help with insomnia and restless leg syndrome. And that three and eight seems to be the version of magnesium for, uh, that seems to be best for people that have intractable insomnia because it penetrates the blood-brain barrier a little bit better. However, you can still get good effects with magnesium citrate or magnesium glycinate. 
And so 144, 144 milligrams of mag-300 mag citrate are, are a good idea. Valerian is an herb that seems to have some benefit in insomnia. 300 to 600 milligrams, 30 minutes before bed has been pretty useful. Chamomile tea. So if you guys have access, to, well, everyone has access to this, but if you've you lost this in the past, drinking one to two cups prior to bed really seems to be good. Lavender oil aromatherapy. It seems to, uh, to really ease anxiety. There's been several studies suggesting that it can improve uh, anxiety and restlessness and even depression to a certain extent. Doing that before bed may not be a bad idea. And then finally, ashwagandha and lemon balm are uh, great add-ons too. So you might be like, well, here, there's a ton of these supplements. So I have to take like eight different supplements at night. You could, but there are many combination therapies out there. We have one in the, uh, the refillsuma.com store, the sleep stack. You don't have to use it, obviously, but you can kind of see what's in there and kind of craft your own. Pure has something called the best rest formula combined with ashwagandha. It seems to work pretty well. And uh, for a lot of my patients who want, don't want to use conventional therapy like benzos or non-benzo sleep adjuncts, uh, they can use these supplements instead. I've noticed combining this with somorlin and ethanorelin seems to have a pretty good, pretty good effect. So that's really all I have to talk about in terms of insomnia. And hopefully this information has been kind of helpful to you guys. Even when you do start TRT, it does take a little while for its effects on or just hormone optimization in general because for females it could be you know adding in progesterone or estrogen and testosterone to a certain extent it does take a few months for the effects to take a, to take full effects so don't expect it you know <laughs> to take testosterone and then one day later be be sleeping like a baby right so you know be patient many times you know you'll, you'll see some benefit you know, two to three months in mm -hmm.